0: Welcome to Real Talk for Real Teachers. I'm Dr. Becky Bailey, the creator of Conscious Discipline, expert in education, child development, and a lifelong teacher and learner. For those listening who are not aware of Conscious Discipline, it is a trauma informed, evidence based, comprehensive SEL program, social emotional learning. It's based in neuroscience and it holistically integrates social-emotional learning with discipline and school climate to create an optimal learning environment for both adults and children. Today we're gonna talk about rage. A question I get often from teachers is, what do I do with these children that are rageful? So that's our goal, to answer that question, but before we can get straight to the answer, we need to understand some things. So we need to understand first the difference between rage and anger. To do that, let's look at origins and purposes of both of those energies. Now, anger develops early in life, uh, the first few months of life. And it is a, a cousin of frustration. I think we all know that. And it occurs when one of our goals is not met, when we are thwarted in what we're attempting to do, when our desire is impeded. And it's a very, very healthy emotion because if we can regulate anger, we overcome little obstacles when the world doesn't go our way. So you can see anger says get over that obstacle, whereas rage is very, very, very different. Rage might physiologically and neurologically run the same track. We don't know exactly if anger and rage run the same neurological track in the brain or not. We have different theories on that. Some people believe rage is anger multiplied in its intensity. Some people believe that uh, rage is such an explosive activity in our brain that it acts more like a, a seizure in the limbic system and the emotional parts of our brain. I tend to believe rage has to do with these uh, uh, seizure-like activities in the limbic system, and we'll talk about that as we go into interventions a little later. Rage often is a consequence of trauma to the very core of who we are. There's nothing I can do. This is it. Emerges when there is a threat and you feel helpless. And we could have kids who rage, though, because of neurological implications before they were born or in utero. So there could just be a short circuit in the wiring in the brain. But often what we're going to see in the classroom in young children from developmental trauma and stuff is rage. So rage also happens right before the brain and your body say the pain is too great. This is too massive for me and I'm going to shut down the body and that's called dissociation. It also is the one that happens right before you think there's nothing else possible. So you'll see rage is uh, the same energy that allows a mother to pick a car up off her toddler. The difference between anger and rage is not, quote, proven in any kind of research study. It's very difficult to study the brains of people in rage because they just don't want to cooperate. (laughs) So just as rage and anger have two different origins and messages, they also have two very different interventions. So the anger's antidote is to calm down and it's to calm down enough, to think enough, to manage the obstacle enough so that you can overcome what's in your way or accept the fact that that's just not going to happen today. So children who feel anger, we can help them through what we call conscious discipline, the safe place. We help them learn to breathe and recognize that that feeling's name is anger and it wanted me to do something and I couldn't get my way. Then provides me the opportunity to learn another way. You wanted the ball. And so instead of grabbing it, you can say you wanted the ball. Put your hand out and say, turn, please. It allows us that oomph to learn one more last way. And if children are too angry to breathe, we certainly can breathe for them. And we slow everything down because anger is saying, this is urgent, this is urgent, this is urgent, this is urgent. It's triggered my survival system. This is so urgent. But we slow it down. We bring the anger back down to something more regulated, bring it down a notch, move it into maybe what we call frustration so that we can get over that hurdle. Now rage's antidote is very different. It says, move, go, destroy. Now all this is unconscious. So knowing one says, breathe, calm down, and one says, move, go, destroy, gives us a way to start building some interventions that might help a child learn to manage the rage before it destroys them, relationships, furniture, Etc. So, our current m- method has been to restrain children, to keep them safe and those around them safe or, uh, from that destruction part of it. So, as we restrain children, we then are saying we're trying to keep them from moving, keep them from going, and keep them from destroying. So, we're going to talk today with a master instructor, Kim Jackson about maybe there's another way, especially when children are little, especially when children are little, to help them begin to get some conscious awareness of this rage we call the yucky feeling and do something else with it besides destroy and become aware that it's in there so that when we grow up, uh, we don't have to pretend it's not there and then it sneak up on us one day and we do something so horrible. We can never forgive ourselves. So with all that being said, let's welcome Kim Jackson, Master Instructor in Conscious Discipline, to share how she's worked with children over age. So welcome, Kim, to Real Talk for Real Teachers.
1: Thank you. I'm so glad to be here.
0: So tell us, how did you end up kind of falling in love with very challenging children and what's been your life experience <laughs> with them?
1: So I've been working in um, public schools. I worked in the public schools in North and South Carolina for over 23 years. And especially in North Carolina, when I was there, I had a demonstration classroom for the state of North Carolina. And there we had children. We had, it was an inclusive classroom. So we had children who were typically developing, but also children with significant uh, special needs. We had mental health needs. We had lots of children with trauma, children with extreme rage. So I've worked with lots of different things there. I've also been coaching all over the country um, and have seen um, lots of trauma and children with extreme rage in some of those classrooms as well. Um, Many of the classrooms that we're coaching now across the country have some of these extreme behaviors, and so I'm often called in to work with those children and those teachers and coach them through a different way than the way that we've done things in the past.
0: So with that, what is your take on the difference that you see with anger in children and rage. So what are the visible signs you see and how do you discern the two and does it really matter?
1: So I didn't really know the difference until I actually knew the difference and you you when you've got a child with rage you know the difference. Um, Children who are just extremely angry And I think we confuse that a lot when we're in classrooms. I see a lot of confusion, especially now out when I'm doing coaching in classrooms. Children who are really angry... They, you know, it, they've got a goal that's been impeded. They're working towards something and they can't get what they want. But we can use the things that we use in conscious discipline. You know, we we notice and we notice their body. We're able to help them calm down in service of the goal so that they can do it a different way. We're able to use that moment once they're calm to teach them how to get what they want. I think sometimes in classrooms what I see is that if a child throws a block, if a child pushes somebody out of the way and uses an action, we're confusing that a lot of times with rage and that's not rage. When children are rageful, they're pushing over shelves. They get that superhuman power. They're so strong. They can pick up computers and throw them. They can actually lift furniture and hurl it across the classroom. And so I've seen all of those things happen. And it's a very distinct difference once you've seen it.
0: So one of the things that that's helpful for me is generally speaking, when you're angry, even if you're very angry, you can still talk.: Yes. Uh, I don't know if I've ever seen a full-blown rage situation where a child was actually able to say any words. have you?
1: No, no, they're not able to talk.
0: And that should be a big difference. So if I'm pushing over a table going, "I hate you, I hate you," and you know, f and this and F and that, then they're very, very angry. Uh, Also, have you noticed a difference in their face? Yes. What are the visible things you see in a child who's rageful in their face and then a child who's just angry?
1: So the eyes are very different, and I've noticed that. um, And I look at their eyes. There is just a, a very, very, very distinct difference in the ways their eyes look. Anger, their eyes will move. Just as they can talk and and it's, uh, sometimes it's not like talking like you and I are talking now, but they're able to scream some things and some few choice things most of the time. but um, when they're in rage, their eyes it's almost like a, they're still they're fixated they're they're not moving they're it's just a very, very blank look
0: and that's interesting because you know they say the eyes are the window to the soul. It also is the window to our brain and our brain state. So when eyes can look around and scan the environment, you know that we're in a higher level of our brain. And when a child's eyes just go blank and kind of glassy, that means we're looking straight into their unconscious. We get to see straight into the lower centers of their brain because all this is happening unconsciously. So now let's take it from there. We have a child who starts to rage. So what are some things that you have found? I know the old way, you know, is restrain them. How did that work for you the many years you did restraining? And when you started doing something different, what did you start doing?
1: So you're so right, because in a lot of places, they tell you to restrain. And they'll they'll say that restraint is a last resort. But Many times in our classrooms, teachers go to restraint because they're scared and they have fear about what's going to happen to the environment, what's going to happen to the other children and a lot of times it's because they don't know what else to do. Um, and what I learned was <laughs> restraint makes it worse. It makes it a lot worse um, and they they are they need to move when children are enraged, they need movement. And so, when you try and stop that movement, I mean, if I was in rage and I needed to move and somebody tried to stop me, I would be, I mean, it would make it so much worse with me, too. And so, what we started doing was rather than trying to move or restrain the child that was in rage, we would actually allow the other children to move to a safer place and so if the child is rageful in the classroom the children would move outside they might move to the hallway and have story time but one teacher was back inside the classroom to keep this other child safe and to monitor what was happening in the classroom we've done that before that was really helpful and then when the other children are outside too you coach them and how they can be helpful to the one that's in the rage episode and so we talked about you know how we could breathe for them we could wish them well and send that that energy out to the child who was who was struggling and
0: if you think about that uh, we're talking now with young children because you worked what with four and five six-year-olds yes. is that mm-hmm. uh, the majority of the, time. the majority of time so certainly you could say that if I can restrain you because you're third four five or six years old and you're kind of small and I'm a little bit larger it does seem possible and again they get super strong so for some people and especially women that's almost impossible to do and then of course i don't know how we restrain them when they're 15 and 16 so it seems to me that we do have to help them understand that this rage is within them it's unconscious and what to do with it
1: well and i want to go back and say too that when we restrain young children by listening to this episode, we know that rage needs movement. It's the antidote for rage. When we hold and children have that strength, they oftentimes teachers are injured. And then what happens is we blame the child for the injury. When we know that the child needs something different, we're not giving what they need to be successful and to actually work through this. And then we blame them for the hurt that we're feeling.
0: And so also, I want everyone listening to hear that I am not opposed to restraining. There are times in one's life where you got to know when to hold them and know when to fold them and know when to run away so you've got to discern this uh and especially unless you don't know another way one thing i do want to say about holding children in rage is i hear people talking while they're holding them show me you can calm down show me you'll do this put your body say breathe within if you show me these things then I'm going to let you go because they're fighting against you. Now, the beauty of them fighting against a hold is they're using the big muscles. Those are the same big muscles they would use as if they were running. So the hold has to be an enveloping hold, and it has to be a strong hold because the goal is for them to fight against you to reduce the adrenaline surge in their body. Uh, but if you're talking and carrying on and do this and do this, do this, you're just making it so much worse. So if you if you do learn the re, uh, proper restraint, make sure you envelop them, hold them strong, and start then relaxing your body. And as their body relaxes, you relax your grip. You don't say, show me you can be still or show me you're calm. Just pay attention to their body. If their body gives, you give your grip. You keep breathing, relaxing your body. If it gives, Give a little more, give a little more, give a little more, give a little more. So let's go with alternatives now. So we know they need to move. We know they need to go. Their goal in that matter is to destroy, to let you know that they have felt within themselves a sense of destruction. That is so great. I'm messaging this through my destruction of the environment around me sometimes desperate situations require desperate measures. You know, I've been a teacher for many years. There's been times when it's important to have all your skill sets, you know, the old hold them and fold them and run away. So tell me, have you been trained in restraint and have you tried that with young children and what has been your your take on that? Because I know... People are trained in in formal restraining methods. I know people have some kind of padded rooms for kids. They can go in so they can try to keep the child safe. Also, there's times when the teacher just just has to do what it takes at that moment. All those are certainly have to go on the wisdom of a teacher. But what has been your experience?
1: So... um I have been trained in restraint, and there have been times when I have had to use restraint as a last resort um, you know, for some of these children that have extreme rage. Um, what I have found is that, when we try and restrain, many times it can make it worse. Um, but there are extenuating circumstances and times when we have to do that. Um, and I know in some places where I've been, teachers are not qualified to restrain, so they have to call other other people in the building who have been trained to come and to help. Um, but I think it's important too to remember that it's a last resort. And so that's what I'm here to talk about today. Is or what are some alternatives for for restraint and and how we can use those um, in your classroom to try and keep from having to put ourselves or anyone else in that situation.
0: So you've tried the Conscious Discipline Rage program. um, And how is that for you? I found it, I kind of discovered it over time based on what I knew about the brain, based on my experience with children, and also with my own self, to be honest. So what have you found about our Rage program?
1: The RAGE program was hugely helpful for me when I've been working with children in the classroom. And so what we did, um, and I've got two examples that I would like to share. One was in my own classroom with a little boy who had extreme RAGE and Um, His name was Camden. He was incredibly destructive, incredibly destructive, both to the environment and to other children in the environment, as well as adults in the environment. When you are in those moments of rage and a child is actually raging in the classroom, You want to make sure that you are keeping them safe and keeping yourself safe. And so what that means is rather than trying to talk to them, you stand and you're quiet and all you're doing for the child is you're breathing for them because they're not able to do it for themselves and you're wishing them well. And you're believing with everything in you that they can handle this and they've got this and they can move through it. If you're in your head and you're talking and you're thinking about, oh my gosh, this is going on for. 20 minutes and it was only five minutes yesterday and oh my gosh what am I doing what am I doing it's going to be such a long process and so getting yourself to a place where you can believe that they've got this and they can handle this with that and with the training that I've received, I knew that he needed to move. And so there were times when he would be triggered and we would actually move the other children into the hallway or either out to the playground, depending on when it was in our day, so that the children were safe and that he could also have a safe place where he could work through that himself. The teacher always stayed in the classroom with him during those moments and another teacher left with the rest of the children. We also gave the elder children another a job to do while they were in a place of support so that they would breathe for him and, and wish him well, so that they had a part in helping him to calm down because he was part of our school family. It was never seen as something that was a bad thing. It was just part of who he was, and here's what we're going to do to help this child who's part of our school family. When he was in the room and the children would go somewhere else for safety reasons, an adult would stay in the room with him to keep him safe, but oftentimes he was destructive to the environment. And for me, and I know other teachers that are out there, one of the first things that I asked when I was kind of... To coach to do it this way in the beginning was, oh my gosh, what's going to happen to my classroom? I've spent all this money and I've got all these things up on the walls and I've paid all this money for this beautiful classroom and what's going to happen to the to the materials that are in there. And that was really hard for me to let go of. But once I did let go of that and realized that this was um, something that was hugely helpful to him and it would also help me to grow too, it was amazing at what we saw. And so as he was in the classroom, he was destructive. He would turn over shelves. He would throw furniture. He would rip things off the walls. And that was really hard. Um, but it provided an opportunity that when it, it was over, the things that were ripped off the walls a lot of times were the children's because the classroom was theirs and anything on the wall most of the time belonged to the other kids. And so we would bring them back in and it was such a teachable moment for everybody, including him. We would talk about, you know, this is what happened, something happened. How do you feel about this, you know? And so we were able to do so many things with that. And then how do we repair? So we taught relationship repair in those moments, which was amazing and also helped to build trust and safety in the school family. Um, with him, he what we found out, was he had no idea what was happening during those moments because oftentimes when it was over and once he did calm down he asked who did this and so he had no recollection of it no idea who had done it and so that was uh, that was one of the first times I'd ever seen that
0: and that is what I'm hoping every listener will hear rage is unconscious You'll hear the same kind of thing in in domestic violence situations, you know, if you know anybody in that situation where after it's over and everything's calm, it's like, I couldn't have done that to you. Why are we in the hospital? I mean, I pushed you, but I didn't do all that. So uh, rage is an unconscious act, and that's part of this program that we're stepping through is how to take that unconscious act, that unconscious sense, and make it conscious So uh, and that's the significant part and probably the trickier part of our plan. So how do you help him become conscious of this sensation that we've just called the yucky feeling?
1: So later in a calm time when after all this has happened, um, what we would do is sit with him and talk to him about it about what happens when he feels angry and and what what the difference is when he's feeling angry then something happens and then sometimes it's just a yucky feeling that he feels in his body so he goes from being angry to having this feeling that comes up in his body that's very different from anger. And so what we did was we had a template, and it's actually available on our website, and it came from the Feeling Buddies, actually. It, just, it almost looks like just a, a blank gingerbread boy. And we would talk to him about where is it that this yucky feeling comes up for you in your body. Do your hands look like this? Do you feel it in your belly? Does your belly feel kind of icky? You might feel it in your throat. Does your body feel hot? And we would talk about those things and then have him color it on the body so we can identify what happens in the body when this yucky feeling comes. And so then after that, we talked about how when the yucky feeling comes, we want to we want to know what we can do because sometimes when that yucky feeling comes, this is what happens. And he, we would show him the pictures and say, but instead of, you know, doing this to the classroom, instead of ripping things off the walls, instead of throwing furniture across the classroom because that is not safe what could we do instead? Because it looks like your body wants to move. So let's think of some ways that we could help your body move when that yucky feeling comes that are safe for you and everyone else in the classroom, including our classroom. And so with him, what we actually did was he was able to give suggestions at that point. I gave him some choices, but I knew he loved to jump on the trampoline or we had a little rebounder in the room. I knew he loved to run to the fence on the playground, and I knew he loved to play I... Legos, he liked the big ones. We had these really giant, not the ones you play with your hands, but the really giant ones that you use your whole body to build. He loved to do some of that kind of stuff, but he also loved to to climb trees. And so there were some options that we laid out for him, and what he, ch- he chose, the trampoline, and he chose running on the playground. Um, and it was funny, he even said, we don't have a tree that we can climb on the playground. So um, he loved to run to the fence on the playground. And so in his Yucky Feeling book, it started out with saying you know sometimes I get a yucky feeling in my body and there would be a picture of where he feels it in his body when the yucky feeling comes my face looks like this and he would we took a picture of his actual face and again we made these pictures when he was calm and then we would say when the yucky feeling comes I can and we gave him the choices here's what I can do I can run on the playground, down to the fence and tag and come back. Or I can go over to where the rebounder is and I can jump. And then after that, he knew that, he actually liked to go to the safe place but of course the safe place is not a place when they're in rage but it can be a place that they go to after they move once their body is calm enough and so then he would go to the safe place and we took a picture because he liked to get in there and bury himself underneath all of the pillows and so we took a picture of him actually doing that Um, I can go to the safe place and then it was you know I can balloon he loved to do the balloon so we had a picture of him in the safe place doing the balloon and then at the end of the book it was I can do it differently. I can calm my body down when the yucky feeling comes. So I think it's important, though, that I make sure I clarify and say that when we're using the Rage book, there's not a choice. The book is the book, and what's in the book is in the book. When we gave him a choice as to what kind of movement activities he wanted to include in the book, and then that went in the book, and it was that was what he had. There was no choice after that.
0: So what you did was, let me see if I understand this, you made a yucky-feeling book for him so that he could see the pictures read it over and over again and try to create a new visual pathway in his brain for it. And so the first page or something like that was my yucky feeling book. And as I get this yucky feeling, here's where it comes in my body. Here's kind of how I think I look. And here's what did happen. It destroys things. But this is what I can do now. And you made the plan. I love how she added now. Look what she's doing. She's adding into this This very global concept of destroy a goal. Run out to the fence and touch it, or run out to the fence and bump it with your back. Come to the rebounder and try to set him with a goal and jump how many times, 50 times or whatever. Try to see if they can set a goal. Remember, anger has to do with a goal that was thwarted. Rage is a global destruction. So she's bringing it back to a goal and then from a goal she goes into the class safe place so he takes his final step so she brought it down to anger from anger you go to the safe place and then back to the classroom and did you see results
1: yes we saw results but we read that book to him at least twice a day. We would read it in the morning when he got there. Um, and that it was interesting because he would always choose that one. He would, and There was a copy of it in his cubby, and he would choose it. He would go and get it, and he would ask the other teacher in the classroom or myself to read to him. And then when it came time for um, rest time, he would always want that book read before he got on his cot, which was really interesting and very telling. And then we also made a copy of it and we sent it home and so it was read at home too. He had it at home too because he w- there were some things happening at home too where he was raging at home. And so, um, you know, sometimes I think we expect to see results right away. And just because you give this book to them and start doing this program with them, it doesn't mean that it stops the rage, that it's not going to go away. And, and honestly, it took months before we saw a, a big change. We also added a, it was a, we called it our running, our running pass. And we had a picture of him running that we Velcroed by the door. And so when he started to feel the yucky feeling come, and it took a long time. He was small to help him know that when this is coming up in my body, here's where I go. He would go to the door. He would pull the picture of himself off. And, I mean, we had bells on our door, so we knew if somebody opened the door. We knew when he was going. We could tell. There were some signs that we we knew to look for. Um, And when he would grab that pass and he got to where he would take himself out to the playground, and granted, we had to have an, an adult with him, but we ha- and we had a system set up in our building for that, too, if we weren't available. But he had an opportunity to say, here's what I need for myself. And it wasn't, I mean, this started at the very beginning of the year, and it wasn't until May that we saw him being able to go and do to get the pass for himself. It was there and available, but he just wasn't able to do it until then. And I think sometimes we get frustrated if we don't see it work right off the bat. We think it's not working, and so we give up and we do something different. But you got to remember that they've got to have time. They've been wired for this their whole life. I mean, for four or five years, this is all they've known to do, so it takes time. And and I've had other years where we've put the same kind of program in place for children, and, you, you know, they're never – able to go and to actually take themselves to the place it constantly takes an adult helping them but later as they got older then they were finally able to do it for themselves when, you know and and I've got one little girl that I it took her two years to be able to do it for herself and it took working with her next teacher to have the same kind of program in place and it wasn't until first grade that she was able to actually take herself and but, so, she, was. She, but was she was successful she was successful and so one thing I think it is so important for everybody to hear that's listening to this podcast is that he asked to have that book read to him every day. And, that was uh, that was so telling for us when children are enraged it doesn't feel good it doesn't feel safe it doesn't feel good inside I mean being as young as he was he wasn't able to come to us and say well I want you to read me this book because when I can calm myself down I feel so much safer inside I mean they're not able to do that but the fact that he came and asked for the book to be read we knew that that was what was going on when he knows what to do it feels safe and I can keep my body in check and that feels good to me so So, you know, it was, that was really, really impactful.
0: So, wow, I hope y'all all all heard that, that that book, he could have read any book in the classroom, but his Rage book was that important to him. And I'm sure everyone can understand, no one, regardless of age, wants to feel that out of control. So it was that important. So kids do want the skills. They do want us to come up with the key to help them manage those little brains of theirs. So with that, did you add anything else in the classroom? So you've got the Rage book going. And what else did you add for him to help him with that anger before it got so explosive?
1: So we also input was really important for him with his body so when we we did the thing on the playground where he would run down to the fence he would tag there was also another place where he could run that had a mat attached to the fence where he can actually bump himself up against the fence which he would do quite frequently with his body everywhere not just on the playground and so one of the things that we thought to do um we created a crashing center in the classroom where we had put uh, uh, one of the gym mats up against the wall and another one on the floor and what we found was when and that he could go to that anytime he wanted to and the other kids could go there too and so what we found was that when he would start to feel angry not rageful but angry he would go over into the crashing center and he would start rolling around and he would butt throw himself up against the wall and bump up against the wall. And the more he used that when he started to feel angry, the, the fewer episodes of rage that we saw in the classroom.
0: Very interesting. So hopefully you can see that this is a progression. And if we are school-wide with conscious discipline, it's going to take maybe two or three years for your school to have a rage program that ultimately takes the child down to past the crash pad to actually recognizing the anger before it moves up its intensity and regulating it with the feeling buddy. So fascinating stuff. So now to wind this up, uh, I want uh, listeners to know we do have a template of the Rage Book online. So if you go to our website, ConsciousDiscipline.com, Free resources, and you'll see a template. Now, that doesn't mean that's the perfect book for you, that means it's a template tweak as you may, and you're going to have to do this by just watching your child and seeing what was helpful, what was not helpful, using the child's input, just like him. So, Kim, let's summarize this. Now, if you have steps for tomorrow, what are three things or three, four, whatever you've got that you would share with listeners and our teachers about with Children That Rage? Where do I start tomorrow?
1: So the first thing that we've got to do is you've got to know your own triggers and know how to actively calm yourself as the teacher. Um, when things like this are happening and children are raging, I think that we, use, we take it personally. And so using the Q-tip method of realizing that it's not about you, it's not happening to you, it's happening in front of you. And knowing that and be, being able to actively calm yourself so that you can, you can offer your best in that situation.
0: Okay, and what's the next one? So you want to calm yourself so that you can stay in your higher centers because your observation skills are going to be critical. You need to observe what's happening with all the other kids. You have to observe what's happening with this kid because you're going to write a book. And you need to know every nuance and you need those higher skills. So number two, what are you going to do?
1: Number two would be to actually create the rage book um, to actually take pictures of the destruction and to have that conversation with the child at a time when they are calm and are not in an episode of rage so that you can create the book together and have that as a resource.
0: Okay, and then finally, what are we gonna do? What's the third step we can do?
1: You're going to review that book with the child every single day and make it part of their routine, make it part of what happens in the classroom every day if you are are able to do so, make a copy that goes home and have them read it at home so that they're, all, they're constantly hearing, uh, you know, here are the steps of what you can do and how you can do it differently. So we're rewiring the brain.
0: And those pictures are crucial because children learn how to govern their behavior through the pictures we present to them and the models we show them. Uh, so this takes eight months. What are you doing the rest of the time when he throws a rage?
1: When he throws a rage, we, like I said, we'll, we help teach the other children how they can be of service when he's in one of these episodes, and we're doing everything that we can to keep him safe and everyone else in the safe, safe in the classroom to the best of our ability.
0: And that's what you do in the meantime until he becomes aware of his yucky feeling and starts to manage it. And the beauty of doing this is that yucky feeling in him probably is going to last a while in his life. And if we can teach them young how to manage that yucky feeling, what to do with it, ultimately so that we can reduce the intensity so it comes down to anger, we can help them start to regulate their anger, then voila, they can move through the obstacles in their life and have success. So I want to give a big thank you to Kim Jackson for spending time with us today and helping us through this with all her experience and expertise. Uh, And just a a quick reminder, you don't read that Rage book when they're raging. Uh, They get to read the Rage book anytime they want, all day, make it accessible to them. And if they don't choose it, make sure you get it in a couple times a day as you read it for them and with them. So what's Becky up to? Well, I am planning for this summer. We're going to do Elevate elevate your SEL skills, elevate your social-emotional learning with Conscious Discipline, and how do you do that the first six weeks of school? As you well know, Conscious Discipline is a giant, huge, comprehensive program with lots of nuances to it. So um, we're going to give you what do you do specifically from practitioners the first six weeks of school? So you show up in, I think it's August, you should have your plan set for the first of the year. So with that... Until next time, I wish you well. For more episodes of Real Talk with Real Teachers by Dr. Becky Bailey, visit ConsciousDiscipline.com forward slash podcasts. You can also subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or your favorite podcast app.